Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Going For Two podcast. This is a podcast whose stock is rising even faster than GameStop. Isn't that right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, it, <laughs> I, I hope you know people don't take that as true because if they do, the SEC might have to get involved with our podcast. It's, yeah, we, good probably, we probably don't want that. <laughs> oh, yeah, any publicity is good publicity. Yeah, right. We'd probably get a few more, a uh, few more listeners that way. Yeah, yeah, maybe a, a little bit, but um, out of probably just sheer interest. Why has this sports podcast <laughs> yeah. generated interest from the SEC? But you know, no, like you said, all press is good press, right? So I like it. So for those of you who this may be your first episode to listen to, I'm Logan and Ben is my co-host. And this is our less than super serious football, mainly sports podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I feel like we should really like I say sports podcast, but let's be honest. It's basically just a football. Although we do a decent amount of NBA talk and Mm -hmm. college basketball talk. I think that's about. Uh, NFL, college football, college basketball, NBA. That's kind of our, our catchment area. Although we did have someone on talking about the MLB that one time. So that's you right. Know. That's right. <laughs> we changed it yep. up. We had some guests on and switching it up. So, you know, you know, Kyle brought us a whole segment about soccer players. Yeah. So that was, yeah. that was pretty good too. It, you know, it's great when the guest brings a segment to your show, you know, like yes, they yes. bring the game. It's like, Oh wow. That's one of all time. Oh. <laughs> one of the goats guests of all time. Guests of all time. Yeah, sure. Good goats. Greatest <laughs> guests of all time. As you can see, this is not a very serious podcast, but we have some very serious things to consider today. Don't we Logan? Very we do. serious. It's, in, in all seriousness, this is going to affect the lives of many, many people. It's true. Not us. No, but, not but really. Some, but many people, they will. Yeah, for sure. Today, we're going to be chatting. For all of you who have followed our Bleacher Report feed, you know ahead of time what we're talking about tonight. We're going to be chatting about the 2021 coaching carousel in the NFL. Good hires, bad hires, everything in between. Logan and I are going to say why Hires are good. Why hire? Why hires are bad? Um, and we are going to speculate wildly about the success of these future coaches. Logan, are we going to be one hundred percent accurate in our speculations? Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Everything well, we say will happen, right? Because everything we say is going to be a hundred percent a responsible take. You know, yeah, we're not going to go anywhere outside the lines or anything like that. We're going to, you know, rely on data and uh, the insight that we have into these situations and uh, predict with um, scientific like results. Is, <laughs> yeah. That's the, some of the, you know, that's the best way to sum up what we're going to do today. I love it. I love it. Logan, before we dive in, uh, this is our, this may be our last podcast for, the Super Bowl. I'm not going to ask you who you're taking. We will reveal that reveal that on Twitter. But biggest question of Super Bowl Sunday is not who you think is going to win, but what are you going to be eating on Super Bowl Sunday? That's a good. That is a good question. Um, last year, I was preparing to go on a fast from sweets Ooh. leading up to the Super Bowl. Ooh. I'm not doing that to myself again. Yeah, good call. Good so. Call. I mean, not that that really impacted what I was going to eat. I think I ate more because I was about to go do that. But yeah. 
I, I really haven't haven't thought that far ahead. Um, I'm thinking, new, you know, New Year's Eve, we we tried mac fried mac and cheese balls. Wow. And you know they were pretty good. Um, so maybe we we give that a second go and okay. see if we can improve the the recipe there. Fried. Did you guys make that? Yes. Wow. You know, we we started with just box mac and cheese, and then yeah. used the recipe to to uh, come up with the the dough and or the batter, and then you know kind of. I think we we ended up air frying them, so they're not they're oh, nice. even healthier than you might. So they're he- yeah, they're healthier than normal fried mac and cheese balls. Yeah, yeah, that's like they're the healthy version. Yeah, <laughs> that's Honestly, great. Honestly, we'll probably end up with some Chick Fil A nuggets. We just got a Chick Fil A uh, opened up about fifteen minutes away, so. I've been three times, and it opened nice. on Tuesday. Okay, but PSA, remember, Super Bowl's on a Sunday. Chick-fil-A's aren't open on a Sunday. So you got to get your nut. PSA, you not gotta, to you. Not yeah, to the Taylor, world. To everyone, I, to the I'm world. Yeah. Yeah. If you're thinking about getting nuggets for the Super Bowl, better get them and, and put them in your fridge mm-hmm. on Saturday. And then so air you, fry those puppies, because that's air, the best way to heat them up. I love it. Air fry it. Um, yeah. I mean, last if you have been listening to the show for a year – you know that this time last year we had a Super Bowl snacks episode, which yes, was did. super great. Uh, that was a, a fun episode, um, Logan. And I'm just gonna go ahead and like call myself out here. I was listening to a podcast earlier to get ready for the show, doing some research, and um, you know they were they started the episode like most podcasts do, um, not talking about the sport, just kind of mm-hmm. like rambling. Um, and I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I hate it when podcasts do that. I want to start a podcast and just get to the meat and potatoes of what you're supposed to talk about. If the description says talking about the NFL, then I want to hear them talk about the NFL. And what did I just introduce here? I just completely introduced the opposite on the start of our podcast. So if you're thinking, will these guys just shut up about what they're going to eat for the Super Bowl? Then I don't blame you. I've been there. I apologize. But we will now dive into the meat and potatoes, or should I say, dive in to the fried mac and cheese balls. To the fried mac and cheese balls. Let's talk about my second favorite carousel in the NFL. <laughs> what is, it, what is second your first? Second to the, the quarterback carousel. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite. And this year is going to be wild. So that's going to be a future episode because mm-hmm. this offseason is going to be insane. And we've we've already seen some insanity in the coaching hires, haven't we? We certainly have. Uh, yeah, there's been a so we are recording this on the on January 28th. All the vacancies have been filled as of yesterday, I believe it was, with the Texans hiring David Culley. So uh, we're prepared to discuss all of the now filled vacancies at the head coaching position within the National Football League today. Uh, we don't get to speculate about who is going to end up where, but instead we just get to say if they were a good spot to fill in um, to those NFL head coaching absences. It's been an interesting um, kind of batch of coaches. You know, you've got Urban Meyer, you've got kind of a few, a lot of names that people didn't really know before. They weren't household names. Uh, and a lot of teams trying to follow that Sean McVay, Sean McDermott-esque profile of bringing in a young offensive guru potentially and seeing if they're the next best thing a lot of guys under the age of 40 were hired so kind of unprecedented um following that younger trend this year but i'm i'm pumped my los angeles chargers we have a new head coach 
and uh, it, you know things are things are looking different. They are certainly looking different. Anthony Lynn signed, who is a former head coach. He's now signed with to be the offensive coordinator for the Lions, who have a new head coach. So a lot of changes mm-hmm. in this carousel. It goes up and down and all around. And Logan, let's dive in discussing the aforementioned Los Angeles Chargers. For our listeners, the way that we're going to structure this uh, this portion of the episode, we're going to discuss the head coaches. We're going to discuss we're going to discuss the pros and the cons of those coaches, uh, and then after we finish discussing the pros and the cons, Logan and I are going to tell you if we think it's a good or a bad hire. And Logan, I don't know about you, but I'm pr- approaching that good or bad hire in a very binary type way. I wanted to say like, ah, they're okay, but I went good or bad. Like I had to, I pick. So that's kind of how I approach that very binarily speaking. I'm excited for that. But without any further ado, let's dive in to the Los Angeles Chargers. I'll intro the head coach and then Logan, I'll turn it over to you to give us your pros about this new guy in LA. So as I said, Anthony Lynn out. Brandon Staley and Brandon Staley was the former Rams defensive coordinator for a year. He's a young guy. I don't think he's over 40. I think he's about 38, 39 years old. Um, he had a year of offense or defensive uh, coordinating coaching just across the highway. I don't know how Los Angeles is structured, but let's say just across <laughs> the highway in Los Angeles with the Rams. Um, so diving into this pros about Brandon Staley coming to the other side of Los Angeles. Well, Ben, you mentioned it first and foremost, you know, maybe the most important uh, pro for hiring Brandon Staley is the move's going to be simple. <laughs> he's, <laughs> not, he's not going very far. You know, it, it's not even like he had to go down to San Diego anymore. He, it's <laughs> right there. Same stadium. Yep. He, he, he has a feel for the city. And, you know, as silly as that sounds like you do, you do have a comfort level with, with your surroundings, with um, there's not going to be uh, a learning curve for how to live your life outside of football there. So that, that is, you know, maybe an underrated pro for the hiring of Brandon Staley. Uh, my biggest thing, though, in all seriousness, is that when they hired Brandon Staley, they hired him away from the Rams as a defensive coordinator. Um, but if you go look at his background, he was a quarterback at the University of Dayton. Mm-hmm. So that's not often what you find. You you usually will find um, football coaches are coaching the side of the ball that they had the most success on playing in their playing career. Yep. That's not true for Brandon Staley. So what you have there is possibly best case scenario a coach who can coach the whole team who can be in that quarterback meeting room, as well as being in the defensive line room, you know, coaching them up on technique and on both sides. Uh, That's not often what you have. And sometimes that can create some disconnect. So um, that is my biggest pro for the Brandon Staley hire. Uh, Another one is that even in such a short time frame for this coaching tree, Sean McVay coaches have been relatively successful. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay has been more successful lately than Sean McVay. You look at Zach Taylor, it, you saw progress there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the 
the worst situation. You don't have a, a, a Matt Patricia situation going on there. You, as long as Joe Burrow become, gets healthy and they invest in that offensive line, you could see them becoming more successful. Um, and then you've got um, Matt LaFleur's brother, Mike LaFleur. Is that correct? Uh, is I'll get our intern on that. Is is going to be the offensive coordinator for the uh, for the Jets under uh, Sala? So yeah, that's that's accurate. Uh, our intern slash me can <laughs> confirm that. Uh, and if you look up Mike Lafleur, unless they're are are they identical twins? Because I don't I don't know. Okay, uh, because I'm pretty sure a picture of Matt Lafleur comes up on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, so yeah, go ahead, I, go ahead. Mm. I I don't think that it's um like there there are positives to this. Yeah. It, there's there's definitely head scratching parts of it, which I'm sure you're going to touch on. But those are the positives. What you're getting in Brandon Staley is a young coach, is someone from a successful tree, and is someone with roots and ties to both sides of the ball. Yeah, you know, all great points. Um, and I'll also just preface this segment by saying. Uh, we didn't structure our pros and cons with, you know, Logan is saying it's a good hire. I'm saying it's a bad hire. It, we just basically randomized it. So I'm picking the cons to go with uh, because I was um, randomized to that. So I'm going to now talk about the cons to hiring Brandon Staley. You know, you made a, a, some great points. And as a Chargers um, fan, I appreciate your your <laughs> optimism in making those points. Um for me, you know, the Brandon Staley hire, looking from that con perspective, he's only been coaching in the NFL for three years. And that that's a big deal, you know, when you have mm-hmm. a coach that come in the league, you know, we'll, we'll talk on a little bit about this with the Urban Meyer hire, but when you have uh, even a college head coach who is successful coming into the NFL, that's a big transition. You know, you saw Nick Saban going 500 with the Dolphins several years ago. Uh, not being able to uh, to uh, mirror his success that he had at LSU. You saw Chip, Chip Kelly. He made the playoffs um, one or two times with the Eagles, but ultimately he flamed out with, the, uh, with Philadelphia. Um, and so, you know, that transition of not being in the NFL to now being in the NFL and then only being in the NFL for three years and being put in a coaching position where he's going to be expected to win, you know, the Chargers weren't two and fourteen this year. You know they weren't great, but they weren't two and fourteen. And Anthony Lynn got axed, and because of that, they're going to show that you know they want uh, a coach who comes in and wins, and so that's going to immediately put the pressure upon um, Brandon Staley. Additionally, he only has one year of being a coordinator experience under mm-hmm. his belt. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator. Uh, for the Rams for just a year, you know, and a lot of the guys moving into the head coaching positions come from uh, many years of being an offensive or defensive coordinator. Uh, and he doesn't have that. Um, additionally, when you look at kind of these big programs, which any NFL team, you can qualify and classify as a big program, even if they're in a small market, but he only has one year prior to the NFL at being at even a big FBS school. And that was, that was when he was a graduate assistant. So essentially what I'm getting at is 
it's a huge unknown quantity. We don't know what we're going to get from him. Uh, I was listening to the uh, a podcast that Chris Long does earlier today, and he was talking about the importance of a coach being able to come into the locker room and immediately demand that respect, you know, not being sort of intimidated by the players, not being a, not being inauthentic and, you know, having the players see right through that. Um, and Brandon Staley, being a young guy, it's going to be potentially difficult for him to come in to an NFL locker room where he's only been in for three years before this and demand respect as the head coach, uh, especially when there are, you know, people on his roster or people on his coaching roster that, you know, have been looked at for head coaching positions or even OC positions like Pep Hamilton. Although there is very, very recent news that he may go and try to repair relationships with uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston being the quarterback's coach there. But there's a lot of moving pieces and unknown quantities to the Brandon Staley position. Um, you know, and that's my biggest con, not a lot of experience. There's no, you know, debating that. And because of that, it, it's, it's very much an unknown from my standpoint. Now, an unknown isn't always bad. Sean McVay was more or less an unknown. He came yeah. in and has done a great job with the Rams, but it doesn't always equate to, you know, a lack of success, but it is something to be concerned about. So Logan, evaluating our pros and cons, uh, having to choose bad hire or good hire was Brandon Staley a bad or a good hire for the Los Angeles Chargers? Uh, you know this one's this one may be one of the most the toughest calls because it is unknown, like you said. Um, and my my thought process for this is going to go to, um, and this is is a theme that I think is going to carry throughout most of my commentary on these hires is that X's and O's are not the most important thing for a head coach. And for that reason, I'm going to lean to your argument there and say, this was a bad hire. Yeah. You know, I actually will agree with that. Um, I'll say it's a bad hire, you know, um, and I won't kind of equivocate myself by saying it's middle of the road or for any of these coaches, uh, I'll just go with good or bad. And I think that Brandon Staley is a, is a bad hire. Um, and I, one of the reasons why I say that is because, you know, he's de- defensive minded. They have a great, defense personnel wise. And so I don't think that was something they necessarily needed to focus on. Um, They needed an offensive quarterback coach coming into their team to help develop Justin Herbert more. Uh, And then probably my biggest concern with Brandon Staley um, is that, you know, him coming to this team when he got hired, he was one of the first coaches that uh, was hired in the coaching carousel. And so there are a lot of other great names mm-hmm. that were left off of the yeah. list. So comparing him to the other quarterback or other coaches that were available, um, I would say that it is a bad hire. So we'll yeah, see. This was, this was, in my opinion, the best job. And another thing that's going to carry out is that I could call every single one of these hires a bad hire because Eric Bieniemy was right there, <laughs> you know, he's, and he's still right there. He's yeah. still going to be coaching with the chiefs next year, unless something drastic happens. And that's nuts. And the same for Dayball. Like yeah. those were the two hottest names going into this coaching cycle. And no one to my knowledge even made an offer to them. Yep. Now that I, that I could be wrong. I believe Dayball decided not to interview with Houston and the enemy at one point had decided not to, but then there were reports that he did. Um, I don't blame either of them for, pulling their name out of that race because whew, that's, that's going to be a rough situation, but yeah. Yeah. It, so that, 
it's going to be a difficult process for Brandon Staley to say the least because of the, because Justin Herbert is so good, you know, and Mm -hmm. you really, really want to, and we've seen it with Russell Wilson. We've seen it with Deshaun Watson. We've seen it at times with Carson Wentz. You really want to be able to capitalize when you have good young quarterbacks. And if they're not going to be able to, you know, if they go four and 12 this year, I could see Brandon Staley, losing his job this time next year you know I hope he doesn't for his sake and for the Chargers sake but ultimately he's got a lot of pressure on him in Los Angeles yeah they have the clock is ticking that's how that's a a a proven formula to win Super Bowls is to win on your QB's rookie contract and so they have four years yep four years to get there and if they're not seeing progress it's not gonna they that doesn't mean Staley has a four-year leash. He's got to make progress every year towards that goal. And that's a, that's tough. You're right. That is a tough situation. So Ben, the Jaguars made the hire that everyone has been talking about since Urban Meyer retired from Ohio state. I think it's his 42nd retirement and he's only been alive for 56 years or something (laughs) like that. Um, So you're tasked with giving us the pros of the Jaguars hiring Urban Meyer. Yeah, I mean, the pros are the obvious ones when looking at Urban Meyer going to Jacksonville. You know, obviously, number one, he's getting Trevor Lawrence in a few months. Mm-hmm. That is definitely the biggest pro. That's the biggest pro for him, his success as a coach, and the success of the Jacksonville Jaguars as an organization. Number two, he's an organization builder. You know, he can build a organization, a team from the ground up. We saw him do it uh, in Utah with Alex Smith. We saw him do it in Florida with Tim Tebow. We saw him do it in Ohio State, um, you know, succeeding Jim Trestle. And he takes these organizations that have a lot of potential and maybe haven't uh, reached that potential or maybe were really good in the past but then kind of had a few down years and now we're trying to Uh, lift themselves up back to their state of former glory. And he has a lot of experience doing that. Um, He knows how to lead coaches. He knows how to lead organizations. And to be honest, he knows how to work under high pressure situations. When you think about his years coaching Tim Tebow and winning several multiple national championships and having to repeat that year after year, that was a very high pressure situation. Uh, and then you look at Ohio State right now, um, and when he was there only a, a couple of years ago, that was very – I mean, when you're talking about having to be in the top four every single year to make sure you're now getting in the college football playoffs, that's a very pressure-filled um, environment. So he's able to work within these pressure-filled environments. And for him, the Jacksonville Jaguars' job – even though they're bringing on Trevor Lawrence, I think it doesn't have as much pressure as it does as some of his other collegiate coaching um, stops have ha- has had. Because even if they're not great this year, people are still going to say, "Well, you know, we've got Trevor Lawrence, and it's still Urban Meyer. He's trying to figure out this whole NFL type gig. So let's give him a pass." And so, therefore, I think that because they're not expected to win right away, and he is able to, um work within those high pressure situations, you know, and, you know, there are the smaller uh, pros that he has going for him, like his relationship with Florida being in Jacksonville, being in 
this environment. You know, he's had some health concerns, so he potentially may have uh, a support system around him if, you know, that were to be needed for him. So he's got some things that are help, helping to support him and helping to support his time in Jacksonville. So ultimately, those are the cons. Um, I think people are really excited. People are really excited in Jacksonville. It's definitely a change of pace. And I say it's not a very high-pressure situation, but I will say that even though maybe from uh, their owner, Khan's viewpoint, it's not super high-pressure this season, all eyes are on Urban Meyer from a fan perspective. So it'll be very Mm -hmm. interesting to see what happens there in Jacksonville. So like we said, you know, we we randomly assign these, and I don't know what your your belief is about the actual – uh, was this a good hire, bad hire? We'll get to that in a minute. But man, do I disagree with almost everything about that being a good hire. From and and here's why. First point: Bowling Green, two years; Utah, two years; Florida, five years; Ohio State, six years. That's not a very long tenure at <laughs> at any place. Mm-hmm. And two of those places he retired from. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, Brett Favre-esque. So how long does Jacksonville think they have Urban Meyer? Because my money would be on, I'd put the over-under at four years, and I would take the under. I'm guessing he is, you know, ready to ride off into the sunset and go back to Fox as an analyst in four years. Mm -hmm. And part of that, why I think he won't last, is because... Can you honestly tell me that you think the Jacksonville Jaguars will have a winning record next season? No, I, I can't. Mm-mm. Even if they bring, even when they get Trevor Lawrence, I don't think they're going to have a winning season next season. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. They're they're not in the strongest division, so I'll give them that. That they they do have that going for them. Um, Houston not is not going to be good next year. Um. The, but the Titans are still going to be there. Derrick Henry is not going anywhere. And the Colts, if they can fix their quarterback situation, then, then they're going to be a really good team again. Um, so here's the other thing. Looking at his career, his coaching record at Bowling Green, 8-3, and 9-3, Utah, 10-2, and 12-0, Florida, 9-3, and 13-1, and 9-4, and 13-1, 13-1, and 8-5, and Ohio State, 12 and 0, 12 and 2, 14 and 1, 12 and 1, 11 and 1, 12 and 2, 10 and 1. He's never had a losing season mm-hmm. as a head coach. This next year will be his first losing season as a head coach. And regardless of Jacksonville's lack of limelight, this will, in my opinion, be the most spotlight he'll have on a national scale Mm. because he is the biggest name in this coaching cycle. And everyone's going to be looking at him, not just because of him, but also because of Trevor Lawrence being equated as the next Andrew Luck. So when he gets the best quarterback that's happened, that's came into the league since Andrew Luck and his first NFL job, the spotlight is on. They go seven and nine in the first year it's going to be tough for him that, you know, the, those nagging health concerns as some have asserted, aren't as realistic as he might want you to believe 
may start coming more to the forefront. You know, when, when things aren't going well, that, that seems to be when, you know, when that comes up and uh, that, that's pure conjuncture. I can't, can't prove that no one can, but you know, there was the, the scandal at Ohio state and he cites the health concerns and steps down. Yeah. It, you can't, you can't ignore it and you can't ignore the facts that he's, he's been super successful. I do think he's a program builder. I just, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars better be looking at those assistant coaches and picking out which one of them they want in four years when urban Meyer decides to retire. Mm-hmm. All right. So I know we've randomized the pros and cons, but I think it, based upon your, your passion <laughs> for your position, uh, you know, of, of not defending urban Meyer, do you think this is a good or a bad hire? I think I can guess, but let's hear it. I would be really yeah, shocked uh, if you were like, it's a great hire. Yeah. It, it's actually, it's, it's closer than, than you might think. Yeah. Like I, for Jacksonville and the Jets, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, you're going to improve. You're going to get better. Yep. But overall, I, yeah, I got to go bad higher. I think I, I have a hard time picking out a lot of the major college coaches and saying they're going to be really successful at the next level. Nick Saban couldn't do it. And like Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier, unsuccessful college coaches to make the jump. Chip Kelly was even he was probably more successful than both of those guys yeah. and that's kind of crazy to say because mm-hmm. he's not the caliber of coach it when you think about it um so it's just different the building a program you're you're molding young men when you're at the college level you are a superhero to them almost you know you mm-hmm. come into their living room you woo their mom you you convince their dad that he's going to have a son with six championship rings and and go play in the pros. And then, you know, you do some of those things. You deliver on those promises because you have so much more money than every other program that you're competing against in the big 10. Yeah. But that, that competitive advantage is gone in the NFL. The Jaguars are at a disadvantage, you know, they're (laughs) because they're in Jacksonville. They're not a recruiting destination. So yeah. Bad hire. I, I've I've gone too much. I've, I'm ranting now, but no. I mean, I think there's a lot of things to rant about when you're talking about whether or not this is a good or bad hire. Because I'm gonna have to side with you. I think this is a bad hire. Um, you know, I was thinking about it before, and if I had to make my selection in a very binary way, I was leaning towards good actually. Before actually, I wrote down good. You convinced me bad. So congratulations <laughs> on your argument. Um, you know, and that's not just a side with you, but I agree, you know, and you look at his health and you wonder, is he going to be able to, uh, operate from a health perspective in this high functioning environment? Um, you know, you also, like you said, look at the success of the lack of success of some of those college coaches. And then namely the, I mean, the college game in general is so different from the NFL. And we talked about this on a couple of podcasts. I'll go, but really the deciding factor for whether or not you're a good team is if you have good players and the Jacksonville Jaguars have a few players that are okay. Uh, James Robinson is good. Miles Jack is good. LaVisca, sorry. You you got it. LaVisca, LaVisca Chenault, you know, he is a promising rookie, but Trevor Lawrence is going to come in, but they're not, you know, going to be able to compete personnel wise with a lot of the other teams, especially in that AFC South. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a bad hire. Um, but, you know, as we said, all eyes will be on Jacksonville to figure out whether or not it is a good or a bad hire. 
So yeah, and those those coordinators that uh, Jaguars fans should be looking at. That is um, Joe Cullen. Never heard of him, and a real winner is the offensive coordinator in Daryl Bevel. So um, <laughs> presumably failed Seahawks and uh, Lions offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel will be tasked with setting Trevor Lawrence and the Jags offense on a path to success. Yeah, definitely not getting the support that he would need to be successful, most likely in Jacksonville. You mentioned the Jets. You mentioned Robert Sala. So let's let's chat about them next. Robert Sala was a former 49ers defensive coordinator for about four years. Took him to the Super Bowl, obviously, with that great defense with Nick Bosa. Um, Logan, you're going to start this one off. Tell us the pros about why you would be optimistic if you're a Jets fan right now. Okay. Well, the biggest pro is a hypothetical. So, so far in this saga with Deshaun Watson, he's named two teams that he would waive his no trade clause for. Hmm. The first was Miami, and the second was the Jets after they hired Robert Sala. So if hiring Robert Sala gets you Deshaun Watson, it's a good hire. <laughs> Plain fair, and simple. Fair. End of story. Yeah. So that is, that, that's all you need to know. But I'll give you some more. I, I think, again, X's and O's are secondary. Leading men is the first task and first priority for any head coach. And from what I've seen, which is obviously very little, being that I'm not an insider, not in San Francisco, not in any NFL circles, but from what I've seen, he has the respect of his players and he is a good leader. So from that standpoint, I think they hit it out of the park. I think it is a complete 180 from Adam Gase, who had no respect from any players. And I think schematically, um, Robert Sala was able to put a really good defense on the field, even with injuries this season. Mm -hmm. the, the offense wasn't great when they lost Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle and Raheem Mostert and Jarek McKinnon and every other player that played for them. And then when they had that game where I think they pulled six guys off the street to play receiver, but the defense, even losing Nick Bosa and trading Quan Alexander was still serviceable at worst. And at times in the season, still a really good defense. So schematically great job as a leader, even better. I think that's the reasons why you would argue that Robert Sala was a good hire for the Jets. Yeah, there's a lot to be optimistic about if you're a Jets fan right now. Uh, thinking about the perspective from the other side of the coin, um, you know, Robert Sala coming in, he was a big name last year, this time last year. It was a shock to most people, probably even himself, that he did not get a head coaching position um, last year. And then he goes back to the 49ers and they have a barrage of injuries uh, and they're able to still have a, about a middle of the pack defense. So when we equate Robert Sala with something, we typically equate it with a very good 49ers defense. And we also correlate it to that 49ers defense taking that team to the Super Bowl. So we think, mm -hmm. okay, Robert Sala, 
taking the defense and, and leading the team all the way to the Super Bowl um, that they lost last year against the Chiefs. You know, not saying that Robert Sala is a bad defensive mind or a bad defensive coordinator, but I just want to point out the numbers. So this year, yes, they had a, a ton of injuries. They were in, in a points-per-game perspective, how many points the other team scored. Uh, they were 17th. So they were the 17th best defense on a points-per-game of opponent um, criteria. So they were 17th. Last year, their Super Bowl year, uh, they were 7th. So that might shock some people. A lot of people probably would think, well, you see Nick Bosa, DeFore, DeForest uh, Buckner um, leading them to the Super Bowl. But they're only 7th, you know, which is still very good. And then the year before that, when Robert Sala was still the defensive coordinator, was they were 28th in the league. Mm. So, you know, on average, they were about middle-of-the-pack defense in totality for the past three years, which probably puts it a little bit more in perspective that the 49ers defense isn't actually, you know, this generational defense that a lot of people think it is. So all that to say, you know, the Jets, they don't have a good defense. Uh, for the past three years, they've been um, about, on average, about 20th, 20th, 20th best defense in the league. So not very good. So he can come in and improve that. But ultimately, they've got to figure out that quarterback position. Right now, um, yeah. you know, if you ask me, Sam Darnold is not the answer in New York. Um, if he is, they've really got to rehabilitate him and get him performing as he performed at US, in USC in college. Um and he isn't, you know, I don't think he's the guy to come in and rehabilitate a quarterback or bring in someone, you know, they have a good draft spot. I don't think he would be the guy to draft a, a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones or a Zach Wilson and lead them to a great career because he's just not an offensive mind. Um, lastly, we kind of say we, we kind of saw this same thing play out a couple of years ago with the Falcons, actually. And Dan Quinn was leading what many consider to be a generational Seattle Seahawks defense. Mm -hmm. The Falcons were in the market for a head coach. They plucked Dan Quinn, who was the DC there, away to lead them. And what do you know? They go to the Super Bowl one year, obviously lose that 28-3 comeback. And then a couple years later, he's fired, and the Falcons are bringing Arthur Smith. So it mirrors a lot of that kind of that Dan Quinn acquisition in Atlanta. Um, and at the end of the day, it begs the question, you know, how successful can defensive minded coaches other than Bill Belichick be in the NFL? And because it's really a problem, I think with the offense and not so much the defense, especially at a quarterback position, Robert Sala is not the right guy for this job. So that's my con perspective, Logan. That's my con perspective. Okay. Okay. That that you made some good points, and I gotta say I'm pretty bummed out that you used all your data and facts to rain on my <laughs> hype machine. Like I was up don't there you hate hyping. data and facts? They're the worst. <laughs> data and facts just getting in the way of my hype. And <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? What do you think? Actually, is this a good hire for the Jets? It pains me to say this, but no, you know, and it pains me to say yeah. that because he's a very respected coach in the NFL, not just from a head coaching point of view, but from an assistant coach point of view, he's very respected. And he is a very good defensive coordinator. You know, my job was to argue the con perspective, and I did so. 
But in reality, I really think he is a great defensive coordinator, but I don't think that that's what the Jets need right now. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and say as kind of counterintuitive as it is for me to say this, because I have a lot of respect for him, for him as a coach. I, I don't think it's what the Jets need right now. So if I had to pick good or bad, I'd say bad. Okay. I'm, I'm going to disagree. I think it was a good hire. Um, you know, I, I, once again, I'll go back to X's and O's or secondary mm-hmm. for the head coach. You want them to be the CEO of your organization and what you get, I believe with Robert Sala is a Rex Ryan without all the crap, you know, <laughs> without all the, the nonsense that he brought, like you get that intensity, but as someone who, you know, still maintains a level of professionalism mm-hmm. um, for, at helming the ship of, of your organization. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good hire. And I think that there is, a, there is a less than zero chance that this means Sam Darnold can be fixed. This is the system that can, you know, can take – that can be taken to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. So – yeah, I mean, talent level, I'm I'm probably leaning towards Sam Darnold over Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so I think there's a chance for him, and that puts them in a much better situation if they uh, trade back from the number two pick and get a boatload of picks to uh, fill the holes that they do have in other places. Yeah, well, you make some good points, and I think what we're seeing from the Jets' best-case scenario would mirror – the 49ers from over a year ago and, you know, having a solid defense, a young solid defense. And if they can squeeze out good quarterback play from Sam Darnold, Sala can be back in the Super Bowl this time next year. But it will say it would have, it would have benefited them if they, if the Jets previous regime had been actually doing a good job drafting like the 49ers had been, you know, yeah, the 49ers, good point. Kyle Shanahan and, uh, John Lynch walked into there with what four first round picks on their defensive line mm-hmm. that were all really good quality players. Not all of them starters, but really good quality players. Um, Sala is not quite walking into that. He is walking into Sam Darnold, Devin Mims, Makai Becton, um, and the second overall pick. So he doesn't, he has more maybe on the offensive side of the ball than he does on the defensive side of the ball. Um, especially with the departure of Jamal Adams. But, yeah, but they got the haul from Jamal move, Adams, too. They got those draft picks. That's so that, true. That helps. Yep, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, maybe the most intriguing storyline in this <laughs> NFL offseason, even though it's not offseason yet. The Texans. Then tell us why the hire of David Culley was a good one. Yeah, uh, before I – Dive into that. I will give a quick shout out. Um, as I mentioned, if you interact with us on our Bleacher Report page, you can ask us questions about our upcoming episode. Let us know what your thoughts are. Let us know what any topics or inquiries you want us to address. And we had one from uh, Matt who reached out and he was wondering, did the Texans make the right hire with David Culley? And we're going to discuss just that, obviously. So thank you so much for the question, Matt. Yeah, so for the pros for bringing in David Culley, you know, Logan and I were talking about this before the episode. If either of us had ever heard of David Culley, and neither of us had ever heard of David Culley, so he's definitely not a household name in kind of the same vein that Robert Sala or Urban Meyer is. 
Um, but a little bit about him, you know, he was the Ravens passing game coordinator and assistant head coach. And Logan, there is a strange position in the NFL that probably not a lot of head coaches or not a lot of fans know about. And it's that assistant head coach position. Mm-hmm. I was doing some research on this before the podcast. And ultimately there is kind of not a very great definition out there for what an assistant head coach does. But a lot of about two or three of these guys that are now head coaches, they were the assistant head coach, uh, like a Dan Campbell for mm-hmm. Sean Payton. So the assistant head coach sort of just to clarify has uh, a nebulous role that is sort of taking the head coach's plan and integrating it and taking some of the workload off of the head coach. So it's not exactly like they're the vice head coach, but it's more kind of like operationally and logistically. So I do think that that happened, that that helps with David Culley. Um, but looking at, you know, the Ravens passing attack, uh, I was reading an article earlier and it was actually bashing the Ravens passing attack, um, the last couple of years. And if you watch the Ravens last year, not so much this year, but last year, despite having basically no one except Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews catching the ball, they were, had a very good passing attack. Uh, if you watch their games, the separation that the wide receivers were getting and Mark Andrews, uh, was getting was tremendous, uh, and it led Lamar Jackson, who, you know, let's be honest, he's not as accurate as Patrick Mahomes. He's not as uh, great as a ball thrower as Aaron Rodgers. And it led him to throw, I think, 36 touchdowns during his MVP season. So I think that that was uh, really well coordinated by David Culley. Um, additionally, he was in Buffalo uh, during Josh Allen's, uh, I believe it was his uh second his it was either his first or second season but he was there to help that progress and just thinking about you know the progression of those guys that were drafted that five um quarterback draft class that went first round you know baker's still playing uh he had a good progression sam darnold we just talked about him his progression hasn't been anywhere close to josh allen's uh, lamar jackson had a great mvp year but regressed last year as most people do after the mvp year but still you know, he's not as, as talented as I would argue as Josh Allen. Um, and then uh, Josh Rosen, you know, he's playing backup. I want to say on the Buccaneers or somewhere. I, I don't pra- even remember. He, practice practice squad. squad. Yeah. So, um, you know, so even though he may be the first to get to a Super Bowl, um, yeah. he's raised off the practice squad. But, you know, all that to say, Josh Allen's progression has been really good. And it's hard not to say that. Uh, he wasn't there in Buffalo to help him with that progression. And he, he has a lot of experience being a wide receivers coach. He's been a receiver wide receivers coach for the Eagles, Steelers, and Buccaneers uh, for the past I think, 10 to 15 years. So he's got a lot of experience. He's 65 years old. He's definitely the oldest coach out of this new cohort of new hires. And he'll be the fourth oldest head coach in the league, which says, you know, 65 is still somewhat young, actually, in relative coaching terms. But he has a lot of experience. Um, so ultimately, I think that's kind of the composite when looking at the pros of hiring uh, David Culley. Wow. I didn't know that he was um, 65 years old. That's that's another um, – I mean, I'll use that as, as one of the cons. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of young names out there. Um, man, I – I, I don't know what is going on in the Texans organization. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to even put your finger on it, but I'll say it again. The the biggest reason why this um, – the biggest argument for this being a bad hire is 
Eric Bieniemy and Brian Dayball were available. Um, and I, I don't really want to hear the excuse of they weren't interested in the job because, and I, I'll say this, and I understand that I don't understand the full business um, ramifications of this, but you go get one of those guys and you pay them whatever it takes. You overpay them mm-hmm. because those are the guys that were most likely to keep Deshaun Watson, maybe not Dave All, but definitely the enemy. And most likely to win you a Super Bowl because they could put a system, a proven system in place that your quarterback, your star quarterback, your maybe top five talent quarterback in the right position to be an MVP caliber quarterback. And they missed it. I mean, they they just, they missed. They, David Culley was, you know, the passing game coordinator. That was the worst part of the Ravens offense. That was their biggest limitation was their passing game. And you can say all you want about the lack of personnel. Um, but you <laughs> look at, look at Sean Payton's offenses in years past. <laughs> when, when you were working with Marquise Colston and um, Devery Henderson and guys like that, like, you don't have to have the top tier personnel to have a top tier passing attack. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm going to get a passing game coordinator, I might've gone to, you know, green Bay or I might've gone to um, new Orleans. Uh, there's, there's different places I would have gone, you know um, it's, it's, you had a tough assignment making this sound like a, a good hire <laughs> because at the end of the day, I saw someone state this. He's like, the only thing that matters here is does Deshaun Watson stay? And reports are today that he'd asked for a trade weeks ago and that uh, yesterday's news of hiring David Coley will not sway his opinion. Um, you know, I, I don't know. The, the, the Texans really made some bad decisions this offseason. Uh, the first of which was telling Deshaun Watson that he would have any say in the hiring process in of GM or head coach. Yeah. Um, especially if you're not going to follow through, but yeah. you know, it just a uh, bad situation all around. Um, not many, I don't know. There's not even a lot of bad to say about David Culley. He's he, Andy Reid spoke highly of him, but um like we said, we didn't know him. David Culley, did he did he play bass for I don't know Aerosmith? That I mean, if you would have just said, "Hey, do you know who David Culley is?" yesterday before eight p.m., that I, I would not have had any frame of reference from which to point and say, "I think he did this." Football coach wouldn't have even come up. Right. So yeah, yeah. Tough situation for the Texans. So, are you? I'm just trying to read between the lines here from what, <laughs> from what you, you said. So is that a good or a bad hire? Oh, good hire. I think it would, no, no, <laughs> no, that, I think that was a bad hire for them. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I made a case. Um, and at the end of the day, I actually, I don't think it's as bad as a hire as, you know, most people are saying. Um, I don't think it was, I'm glad, I'm very glad for them that they went with him over somebody like Leslie Frazier, whose name was, dangerously close to landing on some teams um, number one spots. But at the end of the day, my notes say bad because DW walks, he's yeah. not Deshaun Watson approved. You could bring in, 
uh, you could bring in Bill Belichick probably. And if Deshaun Watson goes, then, you know, it's probably the wrong hire. So at the right. end of the day, it was probably just going to be the enemy that would get the nod as being a good hire. Uh, they didn't do that. And you could bring in a, as good of a coach as you want. But if your star quarterback walks, then that's a bad hire. So because it's not DW approved, uh, I'm going to say that one is not a good hire. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a clear, a pretty clear pattern in Deshaun Watson and what the messages that he's sent. He said, I want you to interview. um, I can't remember who the, the GM candidate was, but I believe it was a person of color. And he said, I want you to interview Eric Bieniemy." And then when things broke down and they hired Nick Casario, he said, I want to go to Miami where Brian Flores is. And then he said, I would also be open to New York where Robert Sala is. He he's leaning towards that. He's pushing for representation for people of color. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all. That's a, that's Mm. an excellent thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but they, (laughs) what it seems like the chiefs did or not the chiefs, I'm sorry. The Texans was, they said, Oh, you want Eric B enemy. Well, here's, maybe a lesser Eric B enemy. Like it's, he is a man. He's an African-American. He's uh, from the Andy Reed coaching tree kind of, but he's not the chief's offensive coordinator. Who's had almost, who's been part of one of the most successful offenses in NFL history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's calling, Oh, you wanted a big Mac. Well, here's, you know, a half eaten, cheeseburger from the gas station that, mm-hmm. that that's a rough analogy on david coley but it's just like the texans are kind of trying to give him what he wants without actually giving him what he wants mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's going to be fascinating to see what happens especially if deshaun watson stays if coley is going to be a good coach or not um, but it looks like that is not going to end up happening so, Logan, we've got three more coaches. We're approaching an hour. Um, if you've stayed with us so far in the podcast, thank you very much for doing so. Um, but we've got Dan Campbell, Nick Sirianni, and Arthur Smith to knock out. Um, let's go ahead and get your pro take on Mr. Campbell going to the Lions. How about that? Yeah, but I'll be a little more brief moving forward. I think we've probably talked about the most interesting ones. Um, but I'll hit the, the highlights for Dan Campbell. This man will make you want to run through a wall. He is, like I've said over and over again, it's not as much about X's and O's as it is about leading the team of men. And that's what Dan Campbell can do. Um, Mm -hmm. I really wanted him to get the Miami job, not necessarily because I thought he was a great coach when he stepped in as interim, but just because it it was going to be fun. Like it was going to be exciting. Mm -hmm. He was going to have some (laughs) press conferences where he yelled and screamed, it's kind of like the pro version of Ed Ogeron. You know, he, how can you not <laughs> nice get embarrassing? Yeah. How can you not get fired up when you got coach O or Dan Campbell up there? It, it seems like one of the guys that, uh, you know, duct tapes the phone books together and then rips them apart and everybody goes wild. Like, can you imagine him doing <laughs> that in front of a, in, in a press conference or in front of the NFL and the line uh, lions uh, locker room? Like <laughs> I'd be there for that. Yeah. I'd be there for that. Instead of Ray Lewis doing his bird dance, you're gonna have Dan Campbell out there bench pressing before you run <laughs> through the tunnel. Like I'm excited. I 
I think he's actually putting together a pretty good staff. Um, I'm trying to look that up. Yeah, he's got a. Oh yeah, Anthony uh, Lynn as Anthony Lynn offensive as coordinator. Yeah, and who did I see as QB coach? Uh, QB coach, I'm not sure. He is bringing in um, Sean Ryan. Uh, no, he they they're going to bring in Mark Brunell. That's the report right now. Is that right? Yes. Wow, okay. Yes. Okay, and, Mark. And then who is their DC? It's a uh, it's Glenn, um, the uh, secondary coach from the Saints. So. A lot of people like that higher okay, as well. Okay. Um, yep. Good. Uh, yeah. Someone that he's familiar with, someone that he's comfortable with. And then he's got head coaching experience under him in Anthony Lynn. Like yep. you want to look at Urban Meyer's staff and say, Yeesh. you look at this staff and you say, okay, like he, he might know what he's doing. He's pulling a Sean McVay and pulling in a veteran who is more experienced and honestly, maybe more qualified for the head coach job, but he's going to put him under his, him and lean on him while Anthony Lynn tries to rehabilitate his coaching candidacy for future seasons. So mm-hmm. I, I actually like the hire um, from a lot of standpoints. Um, I think there's a lot of good to, to come potentially for the Lions. Yeah. Yeah, I will definitely uh, concede that he's bringing in a lot of uh, good coaches to join his staff. I, I like his OC and his DC picks. Um, but here's his resume in the NFL. Uh, Dolphins tight end coach. NRM head coach. Went five and seven. Saints tight end coach. And that's I'm, it. I mean, that's what I'm looking for in a head coach. So I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing. So my, you know, arguing it from a con perspective, he went five and seven in 2015 when he was the NRM co- coach taking um, over after Joe Philbin, who went about one and three in that before um, before uh, Campbell took over. A lot of people think that roster, they kind of look at it and think, you know, oh, that, that Dolphins team of the mid-2010s were just trash. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill was still playing decent football um, in his – that was a little bit before he kind of hit a slump in Miami. They had Jarvis Landry. They had Lamar Miller. They had Olivier Vernon. So – it wasn't actually uh, like a Dan Orlovsky type Lions 2018 with just nobody on it. They actually had personnel on their team um, who could win games, and you know they went five and seven, and that's not a terrible record, but it's it's definitely not a record that makes you go say, oh wow, you know what? He was an NRM coach. They went five and seven. He needs to be a head coach now, you know. And right. I don't think anyone said that. Additionally, you know, when he went to the Saints, he made a lateral move mm-hmm. it wasn't a promotion uh i believe as i said he was the assistant head coach which some could equate i guess to a promotion but ultimately when we're talking about coordinator position it wasn't a promotion it was a lateral move from tight ends coach uh in with the saints to uh excuse me tight ends coach with the dolphins to tight ends coach with the saints and actually you could make an argument i'm not saying i am but I, you could make an argument that it was a demotion from going from an interim head coach back to a uh, positional coach, not even interim head coach back to a coordinator, but back to a positional coach. So uh, that kind of tells you a little bit about the faith that maybe some of the organizations had around Dan Campbell. Um, The Saints tight ends were fine. Jared Cook was fine. He was Jared Cook. Same thing that he was with the Raiders and before. 
you know, and so all of that, his resume as a whole, none of it in bolsters value, you know, in, in bolsters, I think confidence in me saying Dan Campbell's going to be a good, ho- good coach because look at what he's done. I don't think he's done much in the NFL. Um, and there's nothing there that makes me say this guy is going to be a great coach. He does have that raw, raw forum, which it makes me think if he doesn't have that raw, raw status about him, would he even be hired as a head coach? And I know that's kind of a moot argument because a lot of people do like that. Um, but at the same time, from a pure coaching perspective, as a head coach, uh, I, I don't know if he's the right fit there. Uh, and I, you know, and I'll kind of dive in a little bit to the good and if we think it's a good pick or a bad pick now. I tip my hand. I don't think it's a good pick at all. Um, and I, I may not be able to justify that because now he's brought in good coaches and that is somewhat, I'll admit, a function of the head coach. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know if Dan Campbell was really the one to say, hey, I'm the head coach now. Therefore, I have to bring in Anthony Lynn, who's been in Los Angeles and Buffalo, and we haven't really crossed paths except for being in the division for you know, possibly a little bit. I, you know, it didn't seem like they, he was the impetus for that. He was the impetus for bringing in Glenn being the D.C. because uh, they were in New Orleans together. But that's still TBD about if he's going to be a good D.C. So at the end of the day, I, I there's nothing about his resume that inspires me. He wasn't even a, a offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. So that's that's why I don't think he's it, it was a good hire for them. Um, I know you argue the pros. But what do you think? Good or bad hire? I really like the amount of disagreement that we've had in this in this segment. Yeah, it's good. We don't normally have this. No, but I do agree. I, I do think overall bad hire. But um, if if we were um, not being as binary, I my meter would be tilting much more towards the middle than yours. Um, I do like the potential. Um, and I, I really don't know what what was the right hire for the Lions. Like, who was the man to turn around the Lions who haven't won ever? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, they they tried the Belichick tree that didn't work. Now they're going to try the guy who is talking about knee biting. Is that what is <laughs> going on today? So, I mean, no, not a not. I'm not going to say a good hire, but. Um, yeah, I'm. I guess I'd be optimistic if I were a Lions fan. Um, I also don't think that's good. They need some optimism. Right yeah, now. yeah, they do. They that's really for do. Sure. They'll take that. I think. I think they see Dan Campbell give his press conference and say, "It's something, you know, it's something to get excited <laughs> yeah. about." At least, if we're going to be zero and sixteen, at least it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, so. if if Lions fan, if you want to feel better about yourself, watch your press conference and then watch the Jets from when they hired Adam Gase and you'll feel much oh, better. Yeah. With the taco eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, oh, so man. give All us right. give us the pros on the Eagles. Yeah, so this is Nick Sirianni, so uh, you know, he was um a a very, you know, interesting pick. Not a lot of people uh, foresaw this pick, but perhaps they should have. Um, so he was the offensive coordinator during the sort of the luck transition after luck decided to retire, um, you know, and just pointing out what the offensive, uh, what the offense did for Indianapolis during that time, uh, Jacoby Brissett um, came in and actually really started off very playing very, very well. Uh, and then he didn't at the, for the rest of the season, 
Um, but, you know, Joe Kobe Brissett isn't a starter in this league. They bring in Philip Rivers. They squeeze out what little bit of Philip Rivers had left in him and, uh, and made the playoffs. So that was tremendous that they were able to do that, especially seeing how Philip Rivers played in Los Angeles the past few years. Um, so he squeezed out what he could of Brissett and Rivers. Um, that wide receiver core is one of the, the it has one of the highest potentials in the league um, to be great. They have um, uh, Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal, you know, that are um, potentially some of the breakout stars. T- they're getting T.Y. Hilton, um, you know, still in the mix as well. And I was really impressed with how much they integrated Jonathan Taylor into their offense. You know, he's a great um, back coming out of college, but it was going to be a question where he fit in that offense and if he was going to be able to um, fit in uh, and, and sort of play. Was it going to be the Marlon Macro or the Naheem Hines role or how much or is it just going to be a third down back? But they integrated him tremendously. Um, another pro, why he was uh, arguing why he was a good hire, uh, it's because they, he's going to the Eagles. And what the Eagles did was, hey, you know what? Okay, we went to the Super Bowl. Peterson or Frank Reich? Okay, let's go with Peterson. And then what happens? Peterson's fired in a few years. Frank Reich is leading a, a great Colts team to the playoffs um, and looking like, you know, one of the best coaches in the league. And I think the Eagles are saying, we want Frank Reich back. And I heard this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of stealing this from another, I think it was a podcast or article I was reading, but they made a great point of saying, we want Frank Reich back. We can't get him, obviously, so we're going to go with the second best, best thing and bring in his offensive coordinator with uh, Nick Sirianni, and that's what they ended up doing. Um, what, you know, just to what put, they did to get Doug Peterson. They they wanted Andy Reid back. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, and just you know they're still following that formula. Uh, and just to put the icing on top for the the pro argument, um, before Nick Sirianni was with the Colts, he was uh, with the San, then San Diego Chargers. He was there. He worked with Philip Rivers before um, during the two or three year stretch that he was the uh, I it was either the QB coach or the passing game coordinator. But during that time, Philip Rivers averaged about 30 touchdowns, 4,500 passing yards, 66 percent plus completion percentage for two of those seasons. So he gets the most out of his quarterbacks. And what are the Eagles searching for the most right now? It's a quarterback is the quarterback. It's trying to figure out if he's there, what's happening with Carson Wentz. If it is Carson Wentz, they need to get him. They need to rehabilitate him. Nick Sirianni can do that. If it is Jalen Hurts, they need to get his arm improved a little bit. Nick Sirianni can do that. And if it's a guy to go within the draft or in free agency, he can probably pull them in and squeeze that talent out of them as he did with Jacoby Brissett and Phillip Rivers last year. So ultimately, that's the argument for why it was a good hire. What's the argument for why it was a pro? Why it was a con? So, yeah, you, you made some good points. And, and one of them that I want to kind of piggyback on is, um, you know what, his time with Phillip Rivers, he has had a lot of experience coaching quarterbacks who throw too many interceptions. And he's going to fit great with Carson Wentz from that standpoint. <laughs> yeah, let's just keep chunking him up, keep chunking him up. No, I, I do think actually um, what he did with Phillip Rivers in the final year of Phillip Rivers' career was pretty remarkable. But the similarities may stop with his previous coaching experience and his new challenge in that the quarterbacks he's had through a lot of interceptions because mm-hmm. the running back core that you mentioned, he's got Miles Sanders and a bunch of guys. The receiving core, 
is led by Greg Ward. Is that <laughs> Travis Fulgham? He, he mm-hmm. ain't got it. Jalen Rager ain't it. Like, <laughs> it, it's not looking good for that receiving core. They're picking high in the draft, and they're probably going to have to spend dra- that early draft capital on another receiver when they're also – like, when that's not the smart thing to do, but they're probably in a position mm-hmm. where they have to. The smart thing to do is get those guys – in the later rounds, because in this year's draft, there's going to be a ton of talented receivers. You're going to find a Michael Thomas or someone like that in the second round, or someone even better or different in, in a later round, you know? So he's not going to have that same offensive talent. And guess what? The Colts also have the best offensive line in football. Guess what? Mm -hmm. The Eagles no longer have is an even serviceable offensive line. It is straight up bad. Mm-hmm. And that is why, ultimately, I think that the change had to be made to Jalen Hurts. So now let's go into the quarterback situation. I, I, don't, I think the Eagles are sending mixed signals all across the board. Like the Doug Peterson pulling Jalen Hurts and putting in Nate Sudfield at the end of the game. See, we yep. even talked about it on the podcast, screamed of a move that was backed by the GM and ownership. Obviously not. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> like, uh, it, obviously, he acted on his own, and I don't know what he was thinking. But what does that mean for ownership? Did they not want Carson Wentz to ever get pulled, or did they want Jalen Hurts as their quarterback? Because then the report came out that their target was Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. And the report came from uh, heavy.com, which I'm not sure is super, super reputable. Obviously, they're not Sports Illustrated or ESPN. Um, but I do read a lot of their stuff, and it's usually pretty well-founded and based on other reporters' insights. But the, the report was that they wanted Lincoln Riley, but Lincoln Riley would prefer to coach for the Cowboys. So that's an interesting side note. But yeah. – that tells me you want to go with Jalen Hurts, right? If you want to go get his college quarterback who made him a Heisman finalist, that means you're going with him, not Carson Wentz. But the move to go back to Frank Reich's coaching tree and get someone – because Frank Reich fit really well with Carson Wentz. So you're going to go try to get mm-hmm. that. That tells me, okay, now you want ownership and the GM wants to stick with Carson Wentz. So I kind of feel like – Nick Sirianni is by no fault of his own walking into crossfire um, in mm. this quarterback controversy, which there may be no winner uh, for Eagles fans, quarterbacks, coaches. So that is my argument why um, the hire of, of Nick Sirianni would be a bad hire. All right. Well, that was a very good argument for sure. Um did you tip your hand, or, or what do you think? Good hire, bad hire? I, I think bad hire. I think, um, and not necessarily because of who they picked, but because of the, the situation that they put themselves in. And like, just like mm-hmm. I said, um, who they targeted and who they ended up with kind of puts them in a bad spot. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to follow the pattern of disagreement, which is great because we don't have that too often on this show. Um, but yeah, I think it was a really good hire for the Eagles. I like what Sirianni has been able to do with the Colts. Um, you know, I think that there's undeniably that connection, and I even made it for sake of the argument, that connection between uh, Frank Reich 
um, in his time in Philadelphia and Seriani being a understudy of Frank Reich and kind of wanting to emulate what they had back then and his connection with the Eagles and Wentz and everything and trying to get back to the glory days of the Super Bowl. But I also don't know if there's that much stock in that, um, you know, side of things as well. I don't, I, I kind of wonder if it, it, they're not thinking, you know, is he's just a very good young offensive minded guy who's had success in the league. Um, and therefore let's bring him in instead of just trying to say, you know, Hey, let's, it's a, a Frank Reich guy. Let's get him. Cause he's the second best thing. So I, I think he's a really talented offensive mind. Um, and I think that uh, they have Jalen hurts, who is a serviceable quarterback. Uh, I think Sirianni uh, is a very good quarterback coach and he'll be able to squeeze out what he can, of uh, Jalen hurts. And if they can't, they can bring someone in from the draft. And I think Sirianni would get, be a, uh, good fit for that person. And at the end of the day, he can take solace in the fact that they're in the NFC East. Yeah, that's so true. I think that that is going to be very comfortable. Can we just think for a second who won that? I know Dak was hurt, but can we just realize that the Redskins won? I mean, sorry, the Washington football team won the uh, the NFC East this year. And so that is a division very up, much up for grads. Well, so, I mean, you got Taylor Heineke in the division now, so. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, Future that's, MVP. That's a, that's a good argument. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so, yeah, so definitely TBD, but he definitely benefits from being in the NFC East. But let's, uh, let's transition to a little bit, like, you know, we kind of had the big names at the beginning, but we are ending this episode talking about the Atlanta Falcons, uh, they brought in Arthur, Arthur Smith, uh, who was the former Titans offensive coordinator. Um, I've got cons for this. Logan, you've got pros, so that means you're going to start us off. Logan, why was Arthur Smith a good hire for the Atlanta Falcons? So I don't, I don't have as much hype juice on this one, but hype yeah. juice. I'm going to bring what I've got. So Reason number one is, again, X's and O's are secondary. Leading men is is primary. And Arthur Smith saw how to run an organization from a young age because his father is the CEO and founder of FedEx. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So, yeah. I mean, you want to go get a leader, that's your guy. So, also, secondary Let's look at the X's and O's. Let's look at his, the success that he had. And you, the easy counter is, oh, you, you, it doesn't matter what offense you run. You just hand it to Derrick Henry and get out the way. Well, look at the offense that they're running, though. The zone scheme, the outside zone was the, the core of the success of that offense there in Tennessee. Where, where does that remind you of? That, to me, that reminds me of when the Rams went to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots running that zone scheme with Todd Gurley. If there's anyone who can squeeze the last few years out of Todd Gurley's arthritic, arthritic knees, it may be Arthur Smith. And you've, you've got to find your backup. You've got to find that next guy to take that. And that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for Arthur Smith because it does seem that if he's going to be successful, um, at least initially, he's going to have to have a strong running game. But for those two reasons, those are two major reasons why I think um, or why I think you might make an argument for Arthur Smith being a good hire. Yeah, uh, hot take question. Would he ever be able to be the head coach of the Washington football team? Because they play at FedEx Field. So would that be considered nepotism if he was hired on there? 
Interesting, 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 interesting. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's kind of, it's a weird connection that you made that. I hadn't thought of that because <laughs> he was actually really close to home in Tennessee because FedEx is headquartered in Memphis. Mm. He's just moving yeah, a, a little bit further south, but uh, going to be playing in the Mercedes-Benz right. Dome. So, Mercedes-Benz Dome. Love it. Yeah, that's super fancy new dome they've got in Atlanta. Um, yeah. So, Arthur Smith, uh, the argument for why it's not a good hire. The Falcons have Matt Ryan. Uh, they're a pass-first team with Julio Jones and Ridley and um, you know some of their pass-catching backs. Uh, they're not a run-first team, you know. As you said, uh, if they were able to squeeze a little bit more out of Todd Gurley, they could perhaps orient themselves to a more run-first offense. But at the end of the day, they're pass-first. What were they in Tennessee this past year? They were obviously run-first. And so that is, you know, doesn't equate exactly, but that's okay. We can kind of overlook that. Um, I will say Arthur Smith, had a very good year from an offensive coordinator perspective this past year, but he was only the offensive coordinator for this past year before that is the floor. And I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not in their, you know, running back room, but that offense looked very similar to when the floor mm-hmm. was there. So it didn't strike me as, you know, all of a sudden, he uh arthur smith took the reins and said you know we're gonna do this and we're gonna have a ton of success and you know it looked more like something that lafleur um was able to integrate and he kind of just took over the reins and obviously he was smart enough to say if it's not broke don't fix it um but i'm i'm very very hesitant to give arthur smith the credit that some people give him of you know derrick henry and, and that offense that the titans have because he was only there for a year and he more or less just inherited that offense. Uh, he was the tight ends coach before that, like Dan Campbell. They had good tight ends, Johnny Smith and Delaney Walker. But, you know, that is a far cry from being able to be a head coach for a team that was just in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Um, so, and secondarily to all that, um, they're in the NFC South, which, you know, that's a good division, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the Saints are going to look very different next year, but there's, they still have a very great team without Breeze. And then obviously the Bucks are going to the Super Bowl. Um, the Panthers, I just saw an article that said they're making a hard push right. for Sean Watson. So this time next year, this time in seven months, that NFC South could be the best division in, um, in the NFL. And so he's got to compete with that. And we all know that when you come into it, uh, organization that has a good quarterback like Matt Ryan can be they expect you to win within a season or two and so if he's not able to reproduce which may be a function of the uh, toughness of that division then he's going to get you know he's going to get the boot Um, and the biggest con for me about Arthur Smith is that he went to the University of North Carolina (laughs) so easily easily that's the biggest con I've got so so Logan because of that last pitch and I mean because of that last little bit that he went to UNC and because of the rest I'll go ahead and and tip my hand I think it's a bad hire for the Falcons um I think I I don't think I you know a lot of people said look at the Titans offense how great it was it was historical and I'm sitting here saying well you know it's it was a function of Derrick Henry's a function of Matt LaFleur and possibly a little bit of Arthur Smith 
but nothing makes me think it was that Arthur Smith was the mastermind that crafted Derrick Henry breaking 2,000 yards. Um, he's got a lot of respect around the league. He's been there for a long time. But at the end of the day, nothing – you know, I don't think it, he warranted uh, a position other than being an offensive coordinator. Yeah, if if everything goes right, you have – you're squeezing the last life out of Todd Gurley in his NFL career. You're turning Matt Ryan's career – from being pass happy Matt Ryan to deep shot over the top Tannehill like Matt Ryan, and you know you're you're making a run at the division, which you said is already very tough, but you're not really making a Super Bowl run within the next two three years, and I I do think that there were better hires out there, um, better options potentially, um, not super excited about this and do do not think it was a good hire by the Falcons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I hate to leave on a a note like, like that, but let's, let's focus on the pros and that a lot of these teams have a lot of things to be excited about. My chargers included real quick. Tell me, tell me the team that should have made a change that didn't. It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I let's see running through the teams in my head. Um, I, I mean, we talked about this a while ago, but I, I, I think it's the Cowboys. Yeah. I think bringing in McCarthy was a bad decision from the get go. And I think that he bought himself his time with that getting hurt, you know, as sucky as a situation mm-hmm. as that is. But I think, you know, you can't really fire someone if your star quarterback gets hurt. So they give him another year. I think that they should have not hired him in the first place. And so I think that he would, I think that they're going to be wasting even more Dak year, Dak's years now um, because what's going to happen next year if Dak has a bad year and they go 4-12? and 12, Well, he's just recovering from injury, so they need more time. McCarthy gets another year. They need to make a change soon. So what about you? What do you think? I, I agree with you. Uh, second place would go to the Bears. Um, I, mm. I like the coaches from the Andy Reid scheme, and I think they're very creative and great offensive minds doesn't mean they're all great leaders or have what it takes to win Super Bowls as head coaches. And Matt Nagy at this point doesn't seem like the answer. Um, and I wouldn't be super excited to trust GM Ryan Pace to draft another quarterback or Matt Nagy to develop another quarterback. So I would have moved on if I was either of those franchises. Yeah, well, I think the biggest shock of this whole carousel is that BNME did not end mm-hmm. up anywhere he's staying with the chiefs um as far as we know and but you know uh we saw with patricia not being able to cut it in detroit he is now back with the patriots so if this time next year bnme is with the new team and maggie is still not able to cut it he could be back with the uh chiefs following patricia's footsteps going back to his old team so we'll see lot to uh lot to cross your fingers about if you are a fan for one of these teams as i am um but, Logan, it's been fun. As we've mentioned, we're now on Bleacher Report. So if you want to check out our page, feel free to go do so. You can interact with us. Let us know. It's a really easy way to comment on our posts. Say, hey, I want to know about X, Y, and Z. Or if you have topics for ideas, we can entertain those as well. Uh, send us a post or uh, send us a direct message, and we'll be happy to interact with you on there. You can always check us out on Twitter and Instagram as well. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we are really, really appreciative if you've ever gone there and 
subscribe, rate, and review. It helps the SEO to be able to um, show us on Apple Podcasts when you search going for two. And same thing on Spotify if you can like us there as well. So thank you for listening. Until next time, Logan, I'm going to get off this carousel 